You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. This is from Exodus 13, 17 through 21. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road through the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of its people. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to continue our series today, our Lenten series called Prayer Over Troubled Waters, where we're looking at how prayer serves as a way to orient ourselves and find direction in seasons where the waters of life have grown a bit chaotic where we feel kind of thrown off course, and now we're seeking direction and aid. But before we do that, if you don't know me, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm actually the pastor of discipleship. And I just want to let you guys know, um, Meg did a phenomenal job kind of highlighting Alpha for us. But I also want to highlight something else we do. I also do something called New Believer Core Groups. If you're new to faith, and you're saying, hey, like, man, like, how do I actually like, walk out this Christian journey? Well, we have small groups specifically for you. So after service, if you're interested in Alpha or New Believer Core Groups, myself, our deacons of discipleship will be in the corner. And we'd love to just connect with you to kind of see how can we help you on this journey called faith. So that was my shameless plug. Now let's dive into the teaching text. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come to your word. Give us ears willing to ear eyes ready to see, and hearts ready to receive, that as we meditate on your scriptures together, that we wouldn't simply come to you for seeking vain knowledge or simply a good idea, but your word would pierce bone and marrow, spirit and flesh, and get right to the heart of the matter. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in the middle of this series called Prayer Over Troubled Waters, and Gemma started us off last week talking about this idea of stopping, that at first, prayer is an invitation to stop, to ask the question, where am I? If you've ever been lost in the woods, I have. My parents used to send me um, to wilderness camp every year so they can be rid of me for a week or two. If you guys don't know anything about me, I grew up here in New York City, so you sent a city kid to wilderness camp. It was certainly an experience. But we went to this camp called Camp Comanche. Um, Weird name for a summer camp run by Mennonites. But nonetheless, Camp Comanche is where they sent me and my friend Ronald. And I have personally been lost in the woods, okay? I have been wandering around when I shouldn't have, 
in the middle of the woods at night, and then all of a sudden you remember, how do I get back to my tent? And so if you've ever been lost, right, the first thing you do when you're lost is you stop. You say, hey, I can't move forward unless I try to figure out where am I? Like, let me take in my surroundings and figure out where I am to, to locate myself so that I might find a way out. So the next logical step, though, when you're lost is to then find a point of orientation. How do I find something outside myself that can point me in the right direction? Famously, if you know your stars, the North Star, Polaris, right? You would look to the sky and say, okay, if that's north, if that's the way I can orient myself, then now I have a general sense of where I need to go. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. If, the fir- if prayer is first an invitation to stop and take stock of where we are, then, then prayer then proceeds to another point in the journey, this point of orientation. How do we find a specific point outside ourselves on which to orient ourselves so we know where we need to go? See, a lot of us are trained by the society we lived in to, but to stop at stopping, no pun intended. That, that, that we, we're really good at stopping, taking inventory, self-reflecting. And so the, 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 the language of our culture, and it, there's many benefits to living in a therapeutic culture in which we understand the benefits of inward reflection and self-examination and stopping and stillness. But the, the only issue is you can't stop there. You can't stop simply looking in the mirror. You, you, you can't continue the journey simply by looking within. So, you know, there's this old heresy in the... In the kind of the beginnings of the Christian church called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism told, told people was that if you attained esoteric knowledge of self, that if you looked deep within and found the God in you, then you might be able to attain salvation. Matter of fact, I, I won't speak for them. I'll let the first century Arab Gnostic monomist speak for himself. He says, abandon the search for God and the creation and other matters of similar sort. Look for him by taking yourself as the starting point. Learn who it is within you who makes everything his own and says, my God, my mind, my thought, my soul, my body. Learn the sources of sorrow, joy, love, hate. If you carefully investigate these matters, you will find him in yourself. And if I read that and hadn't told you that that was a first century Gnostic, it would seem like something you might read on Instagram. That the solution that when we are lost is simply to to stop and self-examine precludes this idea that we have to then do something after that. That the silence and stillness Gemma was inviting us to was not silence and stillness for its own sake. But that there has to be something beyond ourselves that we look to. You know, to admit your loss is to also admit that you have lost your sense of direction. In other words, when you are lost... When you don't know where you are, looking within isn't all that helpful because it's by, it's you who got you lost in the first place. It's you who took the wrong turn and made a right when you should have made a left. And so if the goal was to look within and find direction, though, if you're lost, it's kind of unhelpful. But, but there is hope. 
John Calvin, he writes this. He says, he says, it is not without cause that the ancient proverb always so strongly recommends to a person the knowledge of himself. In other words, what Calvin is saying here, self-knowledge isn't bad. Stopping, getting still, knowing where you are, locating yourself isn't bad. But he goes on to say this. For if we think that it is shameful to be ignorant of the matters which belong to human life, it is much more indecent not to know ourselves. By that lack of self-knowledge, it happens that while taking counsel about all necessary matters, we sadly deceive ourselves and are even completely blind. In other words, you need to know where you are. You need to know who you are. That's not the problem. He goes on to say, but the more useful this commandment is, the war we must be very careful not to misunderstand it. Something we've seen happen to philosophers. For when they warn a person to know himself, they lead him to the goal of considering his dignity and superiority, and do not make him contemplate anything except what can raise vain confidence in him and pull him up with conceit. God's truth ordains for us to seek something else when we contemplate ourselves. In other words, the goal of self-reflection and stillness is to look inward that I might look outward. That the goal of stopping and locating oneself when you're lost is to stop that I might look up. And so if prayer is this tool that aids us when we are lost and we are in the wilderness of life, then what that means is I don't just simply stop and get still. I do that with a purpose, with an end in mind, to locate something outside myself that might direct me. The thing is, what is that thing? Well, the scriptures would argue that the only consistent point by which one can locate themselves is God. St. Thomas Aquinas, he says this. He says, God alone is altogether immutable, whereas every creature is in some way mutable. What is he saying here? Thomas Aquinas is making the point that only God is unchanging. Only God is consistent. Only God can serve as a true north for one's life. Everything else is prone to change. Everything else is prone to decay. Everything else is prone to confusion. The only thing in all of creation that is consistent in character, in person, in response, in being, is the character of God. So if prayer is to stop and locate ourselves, then the next step is to then orient ourselves towards God the only true, consistent, immutable source for this journey called life. And so that is the invitation of prayer. Prayer first says, God, show me where I am, and then show me where you are. Because if I know where I am, and I can perceive where God is, then I can know where I'm going. But what does this actually look like? What does this actually look like to look to God as a source of orientation when we are lost, when we find ourselves over troubled waters, when the clouds have come in and the fog has rolled in and we don't know which way to go? What does it actually look like to say, God, I need to look beyond myself and fix my eyes on you? What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, for that purpose, we're going to turn to our teaching text. A little context, this is the Exodus story, the seminal story of the people of Israel. It is the moment when they are pulled out of bondage in Egypt, where God comes and rescues them through, their servant Moses, through his servant Moses. They are rescued from the clutches of Pharaoh and sent on their way out of bondage into freedom. 
And so we get a glimpse here into this story. Pharaoh is chasing them. He has realized that letting go of his workforce was a terrible idea. So now he's reneging on their deal, and he wants to chase them down and bring them back into slavery. Israel is now on the run. And so you have this moment in which we get this, this story from God's point of view. And so in our teaching text, we find this, that we, we find that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds return to Egypt. In order to acknowledge God as our true north, our, our point of orientation when we are lost, the first thing we must admit to ourselves is that God knows us better than we know ourselves. There's a shorter, more obvious route to freedom. It's through the land of the Philistines. And so any good strategist, any good commander would say, okay, cool, Let, if we're trying to escape people, we're going to take the shortest path to freedom, and God says, no, I'm actually going to take the long way around. But why? He knows something about Israel that they don't know about themselves. That if they're going to face battle, they're going to fall apart, turn tail, and run back to Egypt. It's interesting, too, because it's almost as if you can kind of see this tension where the very next verse is, the Israels went up and out of Egypt ready for battle. They think they're ready for the fight. They think they're ready for the battle. They got the sword on. They got the spear ready. They're ready for a fight, and God's like, yeah, we're not going to go that way. Because once you see you have to fight, you're gonna, I, I know, I, I know your heart. I, I know that once you see action, you're, you're going to turn tail and run. And so what God does is he leads them around the long way, around the sea. It's a way that doesn't make sense. Any good battle strategist will tell you, you shouldn't put yourself between an oncoming en enemy and a body of water with no ships. It's like strategy 101. You're, you're, you're locking yourself into a corner, but God knows something about Israel that they don't know about themselves. That first, to orient ourselves on God is to have this admission that God might know us better than we, we know ourselves. That God might know our motivations better than we know our own motivations. That God knows our secret desires. You know, whenever we make a decision, there's layers to it. There's the decision itself, but there's all these motivations, some known and some unknown, that lie at the depths of who we are. It's in every, every action we take, every move we make. There's all these things, the layers of motivation. There's, there's layers of, of experience and, and hurt and pain. There's, there's layers of joy and, and great victory. There, there's, there's motivations that are both pure and impure that all lie behind all the decisions we make. Some we are not even privy to ourselves, even if we've done some deep work. And so to say, God, I need you as my true north is to first admit that God might know where we need to go better than we do. The story continues, and it tells us that we have what's called a theophany, a physical manifestation of the presence of God. A pillar of cloud, so imagine with me like a dust cloud swirling into the sky, and then at night, a pillar of fire, and imagine what that must look like. A 
a pillar of flame reaching out into the heavens. And now throughout the interpretation of scripture, these, these two pillars have meaning synonymous with the quality of God. The f- pillar of cloud, the pillar of smoke, is always associated with God's mystery, his transcendence, his unknowability. That there's this big difference between comprehending God, that is knowing that a God exists, and knowing that he can be revealed, versus apprehending God, which is complete and total knowledge of God. That the cloud, the pillar of cloud is representative of God in all of his mystery. God in all of his unknowability. That when we approach God, we first must realize that God is not a thing to be tamed or trifled with. That God is utterly beyond us, utterly above us. He is utterly apart from us in that he is not like us. He is infinite and eternal, immutable and good, truly just, truly love, truly holy, truly mysterious. And in our modern age of over-explanation, where we like to have answers to all our questions, this is the part of God that scares us. That to follow God is to walk into the cloud of mystery, to walk into the as the the early English mystic wrote, the the cloud of unknowing. To lose ourselves in his mystery. And so part of, when we acknowledge God as our true north in prayer, part of coming to God in prayer is stepping into the mystery. Is recognizing that though I don't know where I am, and I don't know necessarily where God is bringing me, but I have to follow him anyways. That I'll be okay without the 10-step plan. That I might, he might just have to be a light unto my feet, which sometimes look like just enough for the next step. That following God might mean saying, yeah, I don't understand where he's going with this. Why not the shorter way? Why are we taking the long way round? God, I thought my life was going to look like this. Why? Why now do you have me in this space in this season? Why this job and not that job? Why her and not him? Why? You can fill in the blank. And to follow God sometimes is to walk blindly. To acknowledge that part of faith, to truly see by faith is often means giving up your sight. That it's the, I don't know if you guys have ever done this as kids, but it's the, it's, the, it's the trust fall dynamic. It's saying, God, I don't know if you're behind me, but I'm just going to fall into your arms, trusting you'll catch me. Part of going to God in prayer saying, God, lead me into your mystery, because I'd rather be surrounded in your mystery than think I'm wise on my own accord. But that's not all. See, what's great about God is that God is is not afraid of duality. He's not afraid of paradox. That he can be both an unknowable pillar of cloud and a revealing pillar of light. And so symbolically throughout the um, history of interpretation, that pillar of fire has has become associated with God's truth and revelation. 
that God in his mercy does make himself known and that his truth does reveal a path forward. And so part of what we do in prayer is we step into the mystery, but because God is paradoxical, that means two things can be equally true at the same time. He is both great mystery and yet a great revealer of truth. That as we come to God in prayer, as we approach him and say, God, I don't know where I am, I don't know where I'm going, I'm going to trust you, that we do serve a God who does shed light on the dark areas of our lives where we seem we can't find answers for ourselves. This is the great hope of the scriptures. And that despite, you know, we're 2,000 years removed from the context of scripture, but, but there's, this great, there's this great grace, there's this great hope that the God of the universe, who is utterly transcendent, who is utterly unknowable, decides to speak in human language. Take a minute for a moment, moment for yourself to think about that. If you're a God who's far beyond your creation, think about, about the amount of condescension it must take to speak in the human tongue, to speak to people on their terms, to come down to their level. It's, you know, which, when I used to be a, 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 a teacher for many years, and one time I had, I had sub for physical education, and I had, had these kindergartners, and the best thing to do was like, to get down on like, their level and be like eye to eye with them and talk with them, instruct them, rather than be out here giving instructions, lording my, my, my height over them and, and, and trying to you know, get them to do what I wanted by, by seeming big and imposing. No, no, no. God comes down to our level. And he says, let me speak to you in ways you can understand. And for some of us, we're like, yeah, but the Bibles can be complex. We think being at the original audiences, that, that God was speaking to them on a level they understood. That the fact that, that God can be known by name and language is an act of grace in and of itself. And so when we approach God in prayer, there's this great hope that God's truth will shine a light on the areas of darkness in our lives. The areas of confusion. The areas where I just can't seem to figure this piece out. God comes in with his very presence and shines a light and says, this is why you're here, or this is where you should go next. And so that God can be utterly mysterious, his ways higher than our ways, and yet he's still gracious enough to shine light where we need it. Not always light where we want it. And so there's this great mystery that in prayer, it's the unknowability and the revelation of God coming together so that we can both be both overwhelmed by his majesty, overwhelmed by his mystery, and yet still walk away with direction for our lives. This is what it means for God to be our true north, to embrace both the mystery and the knowability, to embrace both the, the cloud and the fire, to, and to follow it however it looks like, to trust that God knows us better than we know ourselves, to orient ourselves, means say, God, I don't know where I am, I don't know where I need to go, but if you go before me, I will follow. Throughout the people of Israel's history, there's this sense that they don't want to move unless God moves before them. And so this happens very literally with Moses and God, that he says, you know, if you don't go before us, how, do they, how will they know that you're for us? How, how will they know that we're your people? And so to, to journey the Christian life is to, in some moments, be passive, to say, God, 
I cannot move from this spot unless you go before me. That God, like, I am lost in the woods, right? It's pitch black. I can't quite see the, see the stars through the clouds. I don't, can't put my hand out in front, of me, in front of me without tripping over my feet. So God, I'm going to need you to move first. And I'm going to follow. And the Christian life then looks like this step, like stepping in tandem with God. That if he moves this way, I move this way. And if he moves that way, I reorient and move that way. And to, it's, it's following him through the ebbs and flows of life as he reveals himself to us in prayer. Prayer is the checking in. It's the, hey God, what, okay, what are we doing today? How are you moving in this season? Am I stopping? Am I staying here? Is it time to move on? Is it time to back up? Is it a time for work? Is it a time for rest? These are the questions we need to bring before God if we want to orient ourselves and align ourselves with his good and perfect will. To admit that, God, you're utterly mysterious, but I trust you. And say, God, you're utterly gracious because you reveal light exactly where I need it. But this passive agency what I want to call it, it kind of messes with our modern notions of freedom. See, to be free in the modern sense is the ability to make whatever decision I want. And so the idea that I, I would have to utterly rely on God, so much so that, that like the people of Israel, if the clouds stopped, they stopped. If they packed their bags the night before and all of a sudden the fire was moving, they're moving. That they were utterly at the whim of wherever this pillar went because it was God leading them. So guess what? Even if they just settled down and they just finished, got their tents all nice and arranged, if that pillar was moving, tear down the tent. It's time to go. And so there's this, there's this feeling of utter dependence that kind of rubs us the wrong way sometimes because we associate dependence that it's in conflict with freedom. That I just want to be free to do what I want, when I want. And the idea of waiting on God to guide me seems like shackles on my feet and on my hands. But the only issue with our modern conceptions of freedom is that they don't take into account the effects of sin. And that sin is, is sinister and that it gives you just enough space to flap your wings and fly, but only until you hit the gilded parts of the cage. And so the illusion of freedom is that we just end up trapped in the cycles of sin and brokenness that our, that our forefathers are trapped in, trapped in the cycle of, of shame and guilt, trapped in these cycles. And yet we're moving, yeah, we're making choices, but we just don't realize that sin has been dictating our choices in the beginning. It just feels like freedom because I get to choose, quote unquote. But... This kind of dependence on God is actually true freedom. See, when, when you're kind of on your own, just making decisions for yourself, when you're stumbling through the woods, yeah, like you're moving, but you're not going anywhere. Like when you're lost in the woods, it's very easy to like walk, 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 and be like, hey, I saw that tree before. And you walk, 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 walk. Oh, wait, that stone looks the same. And you walk, 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 all the way back around to realize you've just been walking in a circle. Your movement was completely your own. But you ended up back in the same spot. You're living a reactionary life. The, the, the external stimuli, you, you're reacting to the things that are happening to you. And you think you're moving forward with purpose, but you're just moving in the same circles. Because sin isn't creative, it, 
it just gets us in the same trap over and over again. But Israel was moving with purpose through the wilderness. The only time they were lollygagging and kind of walking in circles was when they were, didn't trust God to enter into the land he had for them. And so that was a purposeful thing. But up until their rebellion, they know exactly where they're going. They have purpose and direction in their movement. And so one must ask the question, what, what, does, what, what if a little freedom can regain, a little loss of freedom can regain me my agency? Because agency means to be walking with direction and purpose, not just simply reacting to things. And so if God is my true north and I'm following him, yeah, I, the path, he, he's cutting the path out from me, but at least I'm not walking in that same circle over and over again with the illusion of freedom, actually moving, moving purposefully through the world at God's discretion, who is the author and perfecter of things. And so as I follow him, I become more fully myself, more fully alive, more fully free. The invitation to, to, to faith in Jesus is the invitation to become truly alive and truly human. The invitation of prayer to say, God, I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to follow you. And in following you, actually realize that this path is the path of freedom. Rather than the simple running circles of the same brokenness over and over and over again, thinking we, we have it all together. So... If prayer is first the invitation to stop, to take inventory, where are we? If orientation is to fix our eyes on God and allow him to guide, then what does this look like in your life? Because, okay, Israel had the cloud and the fire, but what do you got? Honestly, if I'm being completely candid, cloud and fire seems a lot easier. I wish I walked out my door and there was like a little like, you know, burning thing and I could just follow that thing where I needed to go. It's a bit more complex now. But in some ways, we have the better thing. You know, all this talk of God being a true, our true north, you know, it evokes this idea that God is distant and out there. I'll admit that. That God is something I need to find out in the night sky in order to find direction. But the great hope of the gospel is that God is not some distant object to be sought after, but an ever-present guide beside you. That orienting ourselves on God to find direction is a lot less like looking in the star for a sky, looking in the sky for a star, and a lot like whispering to a friend, where should I go? In Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, God is ever-present with you. He's alongside you, behind you, in front of you, inside you. And so a lot of us walk through life forgetting that the very God of the universe dwells within your vicinity. That he is present and near and closer than the mention of his name. If you ever held up your hand to your lips and spoke, you can feel the, the air beating against your hand, your palm. God is closer than that. So what does it look like to live a life in which God is that close and near when we are lost in need of direction? What does it look like when I don't know what to do rather than panicking, centering myself, stopping and saying, God, where are you in this? 
oh right, you're beside me. What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? What if we took prayer so seriously? What if we took prayer at its word that it was actually speaking to the God of the universe when we are in our time of need? What would your prayer life look like if it was less about tossing your words into the distance and more about whispering to a friend right next to you? And what if you were bold enough to say, so God, where to next? God, what should I do? God, help me. What would your life begin to look like if we begin to pray like God was actually guiding you? And that while his ways are mysterious for sure, and while he is utterly greater than us, that he is also present, his very presence dwells within you, leading you and guiding you, directing you and moving you forward. You know, during this Lenten season, we have our prayer room open. We have some times of prayer and fasting together. What would it look like if you took advantage of those and said, God, I'm going to start, stop treating prayer like it's so special. That sounds almost a little sacrilegious to hear, but hear me out. What if prayer was just talking to a friend? A friend who is also happens to be the, the creator of all things, but what if it was that simple? Just like the text you shoot off to that friend when you had that thing happen at work, you're like, yo, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so did. It was crazy. Like, that, that moment when you do that, what if it was that simple to talk to God? What if all your grandiose ideas about what it means to look to God is actually way more simple than you thought? A lot of times we think prayer is this great act of of drumming up the right words and the right attitude and the right environment, what if it is simple as asking a friend for directions and saying, God, I know you're with me. Where, where are we going? I'm going to invite our, our, our worship team up. Um, because the goal of this sermon today was not to be long-winded, but to actually give us time for prayer. It's very weird to, to talk about prayer than not like have room for prayer. So, in a moment, our team's going to play behind us, um, and if you're helping um, with, our, with our, our prayer team today, if you guys can take, take up residence in, in the carpets, the rugs, our carpet sounds like very like cheap. <laughs> guys, come to the carpets. They have been steamed and cleaned, I assure you. In a moment, our team's going to worship, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. But I want to invite us to a time of prayer. And here's what I mean by that. I bet a pretty penny that a lot of us feel lost right now. A lot of us maybe are uncertain about where to go or what to do or give a daunting decision in front of us. And so a lot of us are trying to figure out, like, so how do I invite God into that? Well, I want to invite us to acknowledge three things. Number one, some of us, we've handled
some of us just need to acknowledge, maybe for the first time, that God might know you better than you. And maybe the, the block in your prayer life has been like, you're trying to pray to a God to give you direction, but like you're giving God directions. Like, God, this is how you handle me. Just want to let you know. This is how I respond. So here's what I need. I, I need two blessings, an encouraging thought, and a prophetic word by Monday. Thank you. Like, and some of you just need to let go of like telling the God who made you how to minister to you. Secondly, some of you need to get comfortable in the mystery that in this season, yeah, you don't quite know what God is doing, but could you rest there anyways? And thirdly, some of you, God has shined light on the dark areas. And maybe you're like uncomfortable with where the light's shining. And you're like, yeah, I want a direction, God, but I also didn't need you to uncover that thing I need to face now. And maybe it's saying, God, no, you know what? Your truth is good. Your truth is love. And so, yeah, you're shining your light on this thing that's difficult, but I'm going to bring it to you in prayer anyways. And lastly, some of us just need to let go. We've been thinking we're free, but we're stumbling in the dark, and we just don't want to admit it. And so that's a wide gamut of things to respond to, I understand, but you know exactly which one God's tugging at your heart. So the invitation is to come pray with others, because one misconception I hate about prayer is that prayer is an individual exercise meant for just you and God. It's like the me and my Bible thing. It was never just you and your Bible. It's you, God, and this community here bound up in the matrimony of faith. Serving one another, loving one another, praying for one another. And maybe that word you're looking for is on the lips of someone else in this room. So I'm going to pray for us. And if any of that resonated with you, and you're like, yeah, I've stopped, but like I, I can't just seem to find my direction. Maybe it's time to look up to the author and perfecter of your faith. Father, I love preaching about prayer because it's the one part of my Christian life I feel like I do terribly. <laughs> and so it's awesome to also say here, like, God, like, I need your light to shine on stuff. God, I need to stop acting like I know myself better than you do. So, God, we all come humbly together. Prayer is this amazing gift you've given us. So literally whisper to the creator of the universe that we need help and yet we make it so much stuff it's not and I feel if you're calling us to be a people of prayer God then we have to learn how to orient ourselves towards you how to get our eyes off ourselves and off our stuff and fix them on you so that we can look at new eyes at ourselves and at our stuff so God help us respond in Jesus name amen